Agent 007 races against time. <laughs> races. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> Agent 007, Cole, racist against time. Agent 007 calmly strolls against time to stop a power mad industrialist who plots to kill millions in order to corner the world's microchip supply. From the Eiffel Tower to the top of the Golden Gate Bridge, James Bond can't be stopped. Making his premiere. By the way, these are the official official blurbs for the movies. Making its premiere in San Francisco on the 22nd of May 1985 and opening in the US two days later and in the UK on the 13th of June, A View to Kill is the 14th James Bond film. It cost $30 million to make and made $152.4 million at the Worldwide Box Office. Starring Roger Moore for the seventh time and directed by John Glenn, the vital statistics are Conquests 4, Martini 0, Kills 5, Bond James Bonds 2. Back in 1985, Variety said, Bond's adversary this time is the international industrialist Max Zorin and his love-hate interest Mayday. Bond tangles with them at their regal wholesale and uncovers a profitable scheme in which microchips are surgically implanted into the horse to assure an easy victory. <laughs> um, it's, it's half the movie, isn't it? Um, while Bond picks have always traded heavily on the camp value of its characters, a viewer kill almost attacks the humor, practically winking at the audience with every move. As for Roger Moore making his seventh appearance as Bond, he is at right about half the time. He still has the suave and coolness of the part, but on occasion he looks a bit old and his womanizing seems dated. Mm. To discuss this cinematic cinematic epic is Phil Nabil Jr., Ben Williams, and Natalie Behensky. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hey, Phil Nabil Jr., editor of Fangoria Magazine. Uh, late of Birth Movies Death, where I spent a lot of words talking about how much I didn't like this movie once upon a time. <laughs> a decade ago. And and so, you know, it's, it's it'll be interesting to sort of revisit my feelings uh, as I've softened to the Moore era quite a bit in that, those 10 years. Uh, howdy, uh, this is Ben Williams, a uh, regular contributor to MI6HQ.com and MI6 Confidential Magazine. Uh, and I'm Natalie Bohinsky, the Antipodean correspondent for MI6HQ. I, that's I've just a title I've just given myself. Uh, I have a pop culture podcast called Raven On, and in 2020 we did a big James Bond retrospective. I've also got recaps of everything up to the Daniel Craig era on NatalieBohinsky.com. I really should do the Daniel Craig era. But just, right just now, get a pencil and bite on it, and 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 do those movies. Yeah, just stab myself repeatedly in the eye for five movies. Um, well, four, uh, well, three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but right now, I'm very excited to talk about A View to a Kill, a movie with I say one of the best Bond themes in the franchise history. And you would right. be right. So it might lead into this. So can each of you tell me A View to Kill is the one with. What is the motif that you could hang your hat on for this film? If you close your eyes, what's the first thing you think of, visualize, or hear when you think of this movie? How would you describe this film to a casual moviegoer? A View to Kill is the one with... May I? Yes. (laughs) It's the one with the 58-year-old James Bond. (laughs) Uh, And this was a hang-up for me for a long time because it feels like a movie that is written for a young Bond. And I'm going to paraphrase myself a little bit here, but uh, surely the pre-title sequence in which 007 invents snowboarding and outruns killer Russians was not meant to be carried out by someone almost 60 years old. Surely (laughs) Duran Duran's theme song was meant to kick down the door for a new guy, not herald the exit of, you know, the retiree. Uh, surely Max Zorin was on paper meant to be a new breed of Bond villain, a young punk designed to go head to head with a virile lethal 007. 
all of these things were put in there seemingly intentionally to, to sort of have an exciting new 80s bond. But, and as I literally wrote once upon a time, sadly, <laughs> these seeds of rebirth find no purchase in the liver spotted leathery soil that was Roger Moore. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, Don't pull those know- punches. Just like there it is. Roger Moore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you group them all together like that, it seems really designed. But I don't know if it was designed like that. I feel like in hindsight we can look back and go, wow, they had the theme song. Pardon me. They had the theme song. They had the action. They had the 80s. They had microchips. But I don't know that they thought that much about it going into it. Well, I would say this, Natalie. Um, certainly as – Roger was doing a kind of a film-on-film basis at this point. Mm. Um, And there was always the kind of the threat of a new incumbent on the horizon. Um, I think that Phil may be right in saying that Mm. the script was kind of geared towards a younger actor. We may have to wait for my trivia section for that. Um, Oh. might have been geared towards a, a younger actor um, taking over the role. So, mm. what what is it? What's the one with for you, man? For me, mm. um, it's the one with the eighties. It, <laughs> it, it seems to be more eighties than the two other films put together that were also made in the eighties. Um, it's it's just kind of crazily eighties um, in in a way that I think kind of just it, it's kind of like dipped in it and steeped in it. And like that whole, like the beautiful Duran Duran theme is just so evocative of that time, but it's, it's a great, great song. And obviously, you know, there's the, the, the video as well, where they're all in there with the Bon Le Bon, Simon Le Bon kind of thing, the Breton stripes and all that. Mm. But, um, but also just like, you know, the, the title sequence with all of that uh, flashes of fluorescence and neon and, um, it, you know, stars like Grace Jones and uh, Walken as well, just people who were just so redolent of, of that time um, and just the, the, the fashions. I mean, Roger Moore is not particularly well dressed in this movie and I'm actually pretty pleased they didn't go and give him some pushed up sleeves or anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow. He did have a very nice tracksuit though. He yeah. did have a nice tracksuit. Um, which you can now purchase. Um, but yeah, it's it it's sort of, I'm glad that they, they didn't go down that road and perhaps if they had got a, a younger actor, they might've, you know, leaned into kind of, um, Bond's fashion a little bit more, but it seems like everything else around it in this film just it feels so 1980s. And um, as a child of the 1980s, well, 70s, but you know, I grew, I, I saw this at um, when I was 11 in the cinema. Um, I'm not going to tell you which high street I saw it on, um, but one day we'll put a blue plaque up. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yes. And um, yeah, I I think it had a you know a lot of uh, it had a big impact for me because it just it felt like it feels like childhood this film to me. Yeah, so, mm. yeah. 
Natalie, it's the one with. Well, look, I, I want to say two things here. Uh, the first thing to say is it's Grace Jones in a G-banger, uh, very <laughs> definitively G-string clad Grace Jones. But I think really what I should say is it's the one with the quiche. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is a delightful bit because I don't know, has James Bond ever been seen cooking before? Well, that movie you don't like that came out recently makes pancakes. Oh, that's right. Everybody keeps saying pancakes. I can't find pancakes in that scene. He peels an apple and feeds her the peel. It seemed like a weird POW move. (laughs) (laughs) He makes pancakes. You say so. Yeah, I'm sticking to it. Well, see, maybe that, I'm just, it's it. a stretch from my joke about him making pancakes when he crushes the car. But oh, you know. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe if he made a quiche instead in No Time to Die, things wouldn't have ended out up the way they did. It would have been a nice, um, you know, Easter egg, wouldn't well, it? Well, half the movie stolen from the other movies. They should be totally done it, shouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, one day you'll have to have me on a podcast where we talk about No Time to Die. Yes. I'm sure you've done yeah. like 17 already, but let's do an 18th. Like the recovery <laughs> and counting session. Recovery yeah. uh, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, um, so, yes, okay. James Bond makes a quiche. That is, that is a view to a kill. Quiche de cabernet. All right. Um, the Bond cocktail. Um, the Bond formula is often broken down into a list of ingredients, such as teaser titles, plot, women, villains, allies, Bond himself, action, locations, dialogue, and anything you want, we'll call it style. Um, would you like to each pick an ingredient for the Bond cocktail that is particularly unique to View to Kill, and it can be a positive or a negative? And, and I feel like since you've posed this question to us, not many people have gone negative. Right. Um, but it's I will. Go ahead. What, because I was going to say, we, we often get accused of always being negative. So um, yeah, well, <laughs> lean, into, lean it, into it. Yeah. Charge me. I welcome judgment. Um, the, the plot here, it occurs to me it's, it's a Bond plot, and it's in its way a very Fleming plot, but it's almost it, – it's so out of proportion. The thing I keep coming back to on recent viewings is so often Fleming uh, will have Bond stumble into a bigger plan through something sort of – banal or maybe even trivial like hugo drax cheats at cards right Mm -hmm. and and then there's a chapter or two where he decides to take the piss out of him and and like beat him at his own game best him at that 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 card thing and then the card thing has its own little arc and resolution where he busts the guy for cheating and, and whatnot and it gets repeated here and there goldfinger you know he goes to help the guy in miami uh who's Getting like getting fleeced by Goldfinger on a, on a card game, I think it was Bridge there. Um, <clears throat> but the horse racing is the card game here, and the horse racing takes up an hour of the movie, yeah. <laughs> like a full on hour, and and it's it's so odd because it, it almost feels like a, a Fleming plot in a Funhouse mirror. Here, we're going to take this tiny little Act One thing, and we're going to make it this much more of the movie. Um, and I think that it's why this movie doesn't sit right with me after after sort of struggling with like why I don't love it so much. But it's if we're going to do the formula, right? We should do the formula. The but taking that that sort of inciting act or that trivial first sort of encounter with the villain and making it so much of the movie, the, 
you're sort of underinvested in the second half of this plot <laughs> by the time it happens. You're so fatigued by all the horse race steroid <laughs> chat. Yeah. Part, part of the, one of the old reviews I read, Phil, wasn't Variety, it was someone else back in 85, said, like, the film abruptly and without explanation shifts to San Francisco. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it does. There's no, you know, there isn't really a bridge to that, no pun intended, to that location change. It just, all of a sudden they're in San Francisco after an hour of horsing around. Mm. So it's not and like he, the horse stuff even <clears throat> leads you to anything other than it he's brings abandoned. him into Zorin's world and, and, you know, he starts poking around and stumbling upon other things, but it just, it, the, the, the milestones are just in all the wrong spots. It feels like, uh, right. If you're, if you care about that sort of thing. It's, it, it's interesting. You should bring this up, Phil, because, um, I, Tom, uh, Mason on Twitter was, brought up a thing which was like what are the key bond ingredients you know what you expect to find in a bond film and you know these beats and his idea is to kind of lay it over the the three-act structure and see where it lies on that paradigm right mm. and you're absolutely right this is this is a an inciting incident made into 90 percent of the movie or at <laughs> least 80 percent of the movie and it's you know, as I'm sitting here listening to you say that, I'm like, oh, he's ruining this film for me. Sorry. <laughs> oh, can I can I add a layer of ruining it onto it? Right. Because oh, no. I mean, this is often this is often now in retrospect called like a Goldfinger remake attempt, right? Because, mm-hmm. but the whole plot doesn't work because it centers around Zorin destroying Silicon Valley to corner the world's microchip production. Right, <laughs> yep. but Silicon Valley isn't where microchips are produced. Right. <laughs> well, he was going to fly that blimp over to China after. <laughs> yeah, but James, nor is nor is a DNA stored in the hair. Yes, we know. <laughs> we know. Yeah, but I mean that is. A I've sh- heard that. Day. Right. I mean, clearly it's like, we're going to film in the San Francisco. Let's work backwards. What did they do there? Make microchips. Nobody was like, actually, no, we don't. Do they? Right? Yeah. Do they? It's like, no, it's common knowledge, right? Nope. Um, yeah, but if you, if you kill off, if you drown all of the, you know, the tech heads, tech bros of Silicon Valley, right. and all the crypto bros and the whatnot. We'd be left if, with UK computers. Yeah, that's right. BBC um, micros would run the world. <laughs> or at least you would. You would people would be so discouraged. Yeah, Sinclair would be the tech baron. <laughs> you imagine him like as Elon Musk, <laughs> <laughs> like everyone would be just riding around in like pedal powered three wheelers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yes. No. But everyone would be so distraught at the loss of the the good hearted Tech Valley entrepreneurs. You know, they would just be distraught. Um. <laughs> and they would turn to Max Oren for comfort. Yes. You know, the location would. is irrelevant. It's it's about the loss of the intelligence and the compassion of Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. <laughs> that's that's true, because how can how can people just you know, like some people are just manufacturers, right? And other people are the imagineers. Is that's that right. Is that what you're saying? Like because those people yeah. who are just making things can't possibly come up with their own stuff. It's true. It's true. You need <laughs> You need some overeducated, you know, <laughs> Harvard, Yale bro who goes out to San Francisco, Silicon Valley to 
buy up real estate and invent Theranos. Uh, <laughs> Well, I, hope, I hope people can smell the um, socialism and sarcasm pouring off. <laughs> no, it's just you know, it's it, it's more that I I have I've been trying to understand what crypto and NFTs and things are, and it just seems like a massive scam. Yep. If it smells like a scam, it looks like I, a scam. I don't know the details of it, but it's just an interesting thing to watch and go, why does this just sound like a scam? And everyone's like, no, 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 it's a real thing and you can make money and you should have 40% of your savings in crypto. And it's like, what? I really feel so, like they missed a trick with um, No Time to Die, kind of not making like sort of social media and cryptocurrency and all that kind of thing more of a... Yeah. We're going off on a tangent. James is going to have to do some editing. Yeah, I was yes. going to say Joe Butcher's pyramid power is coming back. And, uh, it's going to be a new. Um, it's going to be the new coin. To a, to it's a the pyramid moment. coin. The pyramid coin from Joe Butcher. Um, Ben or Natalie, cocktail ingredient for a view to kill. So to a pick? cocktail ingredient that I think has not been seen before in a Bond film is uh, James Bond having sex with Mayday and looking distinctly like he's not in control of that situation. Because <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't. looking fairly terrified because she is a in, an incredibly in, in in just like physically you know because she's gorgeous but she's also incredibly strong and incredibly muscular mm. and is the one who controls that sexual encounter completely which is not something i think that james bond is necessarily uh used to so or no, i'm not Moore. saying or roger Moore, <laughs> well, roger Moore certainly, but it it it's just such a glorious moment when you know he she jumps into bed with him and he's kind of like oh he has this look the, those big blue eyes kind of open wide like what am I in for? Uh, it's- eh, part of that was cosmetic surgery, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> he really looks well, surprised in the film. The other thing about Roger Moore's eyes is at one point in the horse racing, all that setup, he puts on like magic glasses that lets him see. Yes, I can't remember slightly exactly. better through a window. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Is they're so eighties, like tortoiseshell giant glasses that he puts them on, and he just immediately looks like an one of the old blind men from the you know start of Doctor No. Like no, <laughs> no, no shade to to people with vis- vision impairment, but it's like the least spy looking set of glasses ever. <laughs> like they're and like the your he, phase. and the way he does it yeah. as well, the way he kind of ch- like tunes it in, so to speak. Yeah, he, he does look decidedly creepy. Yeah. Like he's, you know. It's like better one, better two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. I love this film, so please don't take my criticism as uh, genuine. I'm just taking the piss. Well, I've said one. I should probably pass the buck. I'll throw that under women, then, Natalie, as the ingredient. Yeah, true, true, true. All right. It's well, definitely a woman forward. Of, it's strong women in this film. There are um, so many women. I think just James Bond sleeps with like more women in this movie than any other Roger Moore. Like he sleeps with like five women or something. I have it down as four, but four. maybe as a four, Grace, yeah. maybe Grace Jones counts as two. I don't, um, <laughs> but then there's that whole polar sequence. Maybe I'm I'm, I'm probably talking out of out of turn. <laughs> I should default, and we'll get back to that later. Uh, Natalie, you you. Um, do do you know about what Grace Jones did in that scene? I don't know. This is trivia. 
<laughs> well, maybe I should say maybe I should save that for the end, just to thrill <laughs> Natalie. Well, okay. it'll be a fact or tidbit that she may find interesting. Yes, I think so. <laughs> Rather than you, because we know, but yes, we have it, we all have it. But um, <clears throat> yes. all right, cocktail ingredient then. Uh, well, mine is mine is going to be uh, pretty simple. It's it's I think it's the villains here. We've got a fantastic two header. Um, from Orkin and Jones, and I mean, I know that she switches sides at the end, but really, she's uh, in fulfilling the role of kind of um, uh, you know all of all of the, the the hench people kind of roll into one. She's you know she's not only like the actual assassin, but the confidant as well, um, and the lover. There's all of it, and then and that dynamic that the that that they have together, uh, Zorin and Mayday, you know, there, there's this, this sparring, the literal and mental sparring that they kind of have together. And you never really feel like, um, he, he can fully kind of trust her almost. Um, and I, I just love that kind of dynamic that they have his, his, his sort of crazy respect for her and her just, bonkersness um and the, you know i don't i don't think one would be as good without the other i mean walkin's performance right. is absolutely fantastic in this but they balance one another so nicely um walkin as a as, as a villain on his own is just i i think has to be one of my favorite bond villains and his demise as well is um i think my my favorite villain death uh, just his, you know, his his realization and laughter. It's just, it's such an interesting choice from Walken to go that way. Mm. Um, and I think it's one of the most outstanding and memorable deaths, sort of generally, not just within sort of the the bond um, over. Um, so that little know, laugh, that laugh he lets out. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's genius. It is a genuine like he can't believe. It hasn't. It hasn't worked. Yeah, it's funny because over all the endings, that's the one when they did the Bond exhibition that moved around the states and mm. the UK. I think a few uh, 12, 10, 15 years ago. Right. That was the 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 green screen Golden Gate Bridge was the one you could recreate. Nice. Ah. Yeah. What I love yeah. about walking and this is baseless speculation, but he he was um, nineteen when Doctor No came out. So there's a there's this sense of second generation Bond villain, like self aware, like he's a Bond villain that knows he's in a Bond movie. Ah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. there's there's this sort of like uh, '80s to, to Ben's point. There's a, there's an '80s self awareness to it that I think all the other guys wouldn't have had sort of the the cultural context to cash in on in that way. You know, um, what's his name, the, the uh, Drax. Mm. Michael Lonsdale, like, mm-hmm. uh, or, or even, um, even the campier ones, like, like Louis Jordan, they didn't quite, they, they came at the franchise a different way than a guy that was maybe not quite an adult when the thing started. Right. Might have come yeah. And I think that feeds uh, Walken's performance somewhat. That's a really interesting um, observation, Phil. Yeah. yeah it might be bullshit. Who knows? <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Who can say? <laughs> a very That's credible good. bullshit, if it is, yeah. though. Thank you. Okay, underappreciated elements. Um, the whole film. Well, <laughs> what, what, what thing, uh, big or very, very small, would you like to bring to people's attention um, 
next time they watch this fantastic film. <laughs> so you, you, we are joking and we're saying that it's not great and it's not well received and, or not, not well loved. I know people love it as a cozy favorite, but legitimately great score mm. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yes. And you, you, you get enough non John Barry scores in your rear view. You start to appreciate the John Barry scores and it's, it's just really a very, very like cohesive, engaging, non non dated score. I, in my mm, opinion, right. it's it's a nicely orchestral score. That's my underappreciated element. Yeah, I think that's, I think you're not wrong, Phil. It's the music's fantastic, and I think also just the um, Barry working with Duran Duran as well. I think was. Um, a rewarding experience for for both parties, right? So um, I think that's a nice thing because you can almost feel the the positive energy of it, right? Uh, what could possibly go wrong the next time they tried that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would put an asterisk on what I said and say I'm not talking about the uh, carbon copy Beach Boys song that he snowboards to, right? I. I, it's difficult because there's a part of me that just does feel that the whole film is fairly underappreciated. But if I guess if I had to sort of pinpoint it on one thing, um, would probably be the 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 kind of the production design. But I mean this in a kind of a, a wider um, scale, in a sense. Like quite often with production design, it's one of those things where you go, you look at, and certainly in a Bond film, you're looking at. Ken Adams, um, you know, fantastic vaulting sets or whatever. But sometimes you f- sort of forget the things that aren't that outstanding. And I, I sort of think things like the uh, the mind set is one of my favorite sets. Right. Because it's a really excellent set. Um, and also just the entire, um, you know, last sequence on the Golden Gate where, you know, they've built a substantial chunk of Golden Gate. <laughs> At various scales. At various scales right. and managed to cut this all together. I, 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 you know, obviously there's some, there's some green slash blue screen work in there, but I really feel like when you watch the end of the movie, even now, um, well, some of those shots are very hard to pick out from, you know. It's, it's actually, I think, more impressive than that, because it, it, not so much blue screen, green screen, but rear projection. Right, right. So they had to go and capture that footage at the right angle, at the right scale, come back, build it at a different scale, right. rear project it, make it all look seamless. And it is pretty seamless, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, it looks a little bit dated, but all of the stuff that's on the physical uh, set there is just great. I think there's a lot of um, great stuff in terms of, like, the production design that you would normally – like, okay, so when you go to the Chateau – <sighs> you're used to seeing kind of Ken Adams angular concrete kind of sets, but to know that some of that stuff isn't, isn't location and some of it is and how they're right. blending those things to together. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's actually a, in terms of a crop, like the craftsman on this film, they think yeah. they did a really good job on it. I'm going to piggyback on that and just throw my tuppence in on this, Ben, which is like, I would love to see this film for the first time again and have no knowledge of it because the briefing room where Zorin talks about his plan and the little yes. model of Silicon Valley and everything. Yes, it's you know it's later revealed to be on an airship, but the first time going into it, you wouldn't know it. No. And it's a brilliant piece of design with the little sliding staircase and then the reveal 
that they're on an airship. I mean, that must have been fantastic the first time audiences saw that. Mm. Um, But now, you know, we know it. So it's like, it's lost its impact. I can still remember the, the, feeling and i'm not i'm not kidding about this because it's something that i kind of like have like real um anxiety about is just like falling without <laughs> any way to stop it right but i remember as a kid seeing the bit where the, the stairs just go flat and just my you know just the constriction in my throat and my heart being in my stomach i was just like oh my god that's just an awful awful way to go because <laughs> he's like that he's got no way out of that um, so yeah, I can, I can say that it was pretty impactful. <laughs> I think I'd seen it in a few cartoons before that. So I was prepared <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> I think it was a Scooby-Doo cartoon or two oh, where the Andrew. stairs turn into a ramp. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Natalie, underappreciated element. Well, just to, to build on what you were saying, I just, you know, blimps guys, let's, let's be grateful. <laughs> bring, bring, bring them back. Finally got in a blimp. Uh, Zoran, it, it's just such a good evil villain, you know, because it's it's cool blimps, but they're also kind of stupid. You know, they're not that fast. <laughs> they're really? you know they're a bit naff, but yet they're also really highly cool. flammable. Yeah, <laughs> so they kind of occupy this very strange camp. You know, as as much as you can get a high camp villain lair, a blimp is probably. I want to go in a blimp. Who doesn't want to go in a blimp? Have any? Has anyone too. here been in a blimp? No. Oh, or a Zeppelin, no. as we might want to call no. it. Yeah. Well, dirigible. Dirigible. There it is. Yeah. Airship. I haven't even been in a hot air balloon. I need to really up my game yeah. airship-wise. It's that time nope. of the evening when my dog goes insane. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least it's not a robot dog of sorts that seems to spy on you when you're in the shower. The shower. Yeah, super creepy. Super, like, super he's- creepy. You send in the bomb disposal dog, and it's just like perving on. Is it Bond yeah. and Stacy in the shower? Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a. You got to wonder about Q's browser history in that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there's a packet of Kleenex next to the monitor. <laughs> well, you know, Q does all this work. He never gets to go out into the field, so he's got to live vicariously through, you know, James. I love the way they send him all the way. To San Francisco to sit in a van. <laughs> Can this not be operated from England? Then no, I have to. I have he doesn't to even like go. 20, why not just go twenty feet no, away? Knock on the door, see if they're in. Why send a robot dog in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I've invented it now. <laughs> May as well use it. Hugh, <laughs> did you invent this just to go on holiday? Um, trivia. Um, Foreshadowed by Ben. Mm-hmm. You want to go first on this one, then Ben? Oh, do I? Okay, right. Sorry. So then I had. <laughs> or you two. can have two. You can have two. If you All want. right, I'll have the two then. I'll quickly do the one for Natalie, which I'm sure many listeners are aware of and has been repeated many times. But close your ears, kids. Yeah. Um, so the reason why um, Sir Roger Moore looks so uh, uncomfortable in that scene, Natalie, is that. Um, According to uh, all accounts uh, of people on the set that day, she was actually wearing a giant rubber strap on. <laughs> um, so his look of kind of bewildered surprise when she opens her robe is 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 a genuine one. Um, and uh, I believe <laughs> That's they, they didn't. Right. Yes. 
I so have so much. I already respected <clears throat> Grace Jones. I have so much more respect now. That is a that is a boss move. And to follow up, Natalie, uh, you were you were asking whether this this was a film that might have been uh, for a, for a younger Bond. Um, certainly, lots of people were thrown into the into the mix, but they did actually do um, a, uh, a a national poll. Um, in the UK to see who who would be a good replacement Bond um, prior to this film, um, and Lewis Collins was the the winner of that poll, who uh, right. famously Bodie in the Professionals. Um, but unfortunately, he uh, didn't impress Cubby Broccoli uh, particularly, and so uh, we had um, we had a return of the nearly octogenarian. 007. <laughs> I heard another um, uh, theory about why they kept Roger Moore on as well or why they ended up going back to him is because that they'd put so much store on Roger with the Battle of the Bonds, with Octopussy yes. versus Never Say Never mm-hmm. Again, that they kind of needed to have him stick around for one more yeah. to, to show that they really backed their guy. Yeah. Producers sticking a hole for themselves again. Yeah, <laughs> I've just looked up a picture of this Lewis Collins, and I don't get it at all. I've, I've you should watch seen... um, Who Dares Wins, and um... oh, there's a few photos where he kind of it just his hair needs to be totally redone. So the thing about Lewis Collins in, in the Professionals, I don't know if you watched much of it, uh, Natalie, but no, never um, saw it. You know, kind of the, the 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 kind of public perception of his character was that he was. The public perception of this character was that he was a very tough guy, uh, um, you know, particularly in in that series. But actually, if you rewatch it, he's quite camp and funny as well. So mm. I think he would have actually been a pretty good follow on because um, he could do light humor very well, as well as being kind of you know tough. So tying that into Vito Kill. Um... In the last ten years of his life, Lewis Collins moved to the United States and sold computers. Yeah, in Silicon Valley, no. which was the whole reason <laughs> why they were trying to trying to flood it in the first place. <laughs> wow, Natalie, do you have any trivia for us before we get on to Phil's potato salad? Well, the trivia that I always enjoy slash am horrified by is the fact that uh, Tanya Roberts, her mum was like a year or two younger than Je- Roger yeah. Moore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, is, that is the bit that always just uh, gets me right in the feels when not even a, a, a woman who's a year or two younger than Roger Moore was considered obviously too old to be a Bond girl. Not that you would consider the mother, but what I'm saying is that they've gone, oh, no, let's get this 20, I don't know, five-year-old woman or whatever it is. That's clearly a very suitable love interest for 58-year-old Roger Moore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, they, I mean, they, they made a, a fairly big thing of it at the time, and I, I don't think even Roger was particularly, um, you know, happy with that yeah, kind of thing. I think he thing. had the yeah. grace to be embarrassed by it a bit. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about it on the watch along, how they, they made her bedroom look like it was belonged to a 10-year-old girl. Right. That's right. Oh, yes, they did I wonder too. if the production designer was just trolling Roger Moore a little bit with that choice. And- yeah. <clears throat> if you walked into that bed, like genuinely, if anybody walks into a bedroom and it's decorated like that, you must leave immediately. John Unless- <laughs> vibes. 
No. Yeah. yeah no. Not good. Got Carrie Fukunaga in 11 1. Hey! <laughs> That's our show. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bill, what have you got for us? Well, this is more of a rumor. I can't confirm this, but I, uh, I'm i told that if oh, you find uh, – People are saying. People are saying. <laughs> if, you, if you find Maude Adams out in the wild at like the oh, Browse no. or something, and if you ask her that about her, her cameo in this film, she has to grant you three wishes. Wait, what? That's, Maud is Adams that, is in this film? That's true. I yeah. did actually that, do is that. Is that before or after she gets escorted out of the store? <laughs> you got to ask her quick because she's she's getting escorted out of the store, uh, you know, too sweet. But <clears throat> no, the real trivia, which, uh, you know, I is probably common knowledge to many, many listeners, but I only found out last year is that they talked about how Bowie was approached to play Max Zorin or they yes. offered him this role. But I only learned in the last year upon reading the script that it's literally written as Bowie down to the two different eye colors. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. And, um, and that was exciting to find out. Oh, much cool. like it, much like when they write the, the, the Skyfall draft, it had like Javier Bardem in the script. Oh, did it? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Sometimes oh, it works yeah. out. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you've still um, got this on your, uh, on your Twitter feed, Phil, but I think you, I think you posted as like a side by side photo mm-hmm. of, uh, Bowie and um, Walken, Walken in you know like in the in the top like in in, in these their um, morning, morning dress suit. yeah yeah yes and that I don't know like maybe we can tag that on the yep on the thing because that just really is uh, it's uncanny the um, the similarities there yeah and, good, and the, Bo- the Bowie the Bowie thing was from the I think the China Girl video which would have put it a year or two before View to a Kill. Right. right, so he and was, it's even you know, down to being... things like the the the, the glasses, the, his like the the frames are like almost the Cartier against... sunglasses that yeah. Walken has. Yep, yeah, so they, it's, it's... And, and his bleach blonde hair, which Bowie was sort of rocking in around the Let's Dance era. Yep, yeah, and but so in a sense, uh, it's a real testament to Walken that he makes that almost. Um, Cosplaying Bowie, Christopher Walken as David Bowie, yeah. as <laughs> Max Zorin. Yeah. So you know the fact that he can essentially step into that, you know, that person's uh, shoes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just, there are too many jokes. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> but um, I think tight, it's a real tight skinned uh, tight skin trousers, David Bowie's <laughs> tight pants from Labyrinth. Following year, I think. I think Labyrinth well, was at eighty-six, maybe. I would like to see every single one of Walken's films face swapped with David Bowie and vice versa. <laughs> can somebody can somebody do that? I think that you know Christopher Walken doing um, David Bowie in Labyrinth would be a delight <laughs> for any child. Oh, so good. Dance magic. <laughs> Dance, magic dance, Sarah. Magic dance, dance now. I don't know whether that was a combination of both of them. Yeah, it is. There's a bit of crossover between a Bowie and a Walken, so yeah. Well, maybe have they been seen together? That's the question. Mm. Maybe they were both the what? What was he a a a Nazi genetic experiment? (laughs) 
I, I think we should just clarify for legal reasons. That was a fictional character. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Any similarity to a real dead person is purely coincidence. Yeah. Any similarity to actual Nazi genetic yeah, experiment. Natalie is... was not calling Christopher Walken a Nazi. Mm. No, just however, not. I stand by my Kerry Fulkin <laughs> <Yeah>. joke. <laughs> I mean, it is something I'm. I'm constantly. You know, I'm really going to watch myself because I just walk down the street and go, "Hey, you! You look like a Nazi genetic experiment." All the time, it happens to me. I'm just always blah 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 Nazi genetic experiment. <laughs> Final verdict: um, A few to kill. This is one of the Marmite movies. So, are we <laughs> top tier, middle tier? I doubt it, or bottom tier? Uh, ben, do you want to um, set the average in the right direction? Uh, yeah. I, again, um, I, I did that list of my top films, and I can't really remember where this placed, but I, when, I remember when I was doing it, I was trying to go, well, I want to make it kind of fair between Roger and, and Sean and all, you know, like, and try and make it like. <laughs> but so I had, you know, when I was deciding to which um, Roger to put, in as the kind of the number one, um, I was kind of vacillating between Fewer Eyes Only and A View to a Kill. And, uh, you know, Fewer Eyes Only one, but only just. So, you know, I, I, I guess it's probably in the middle, but middle section, middle tier. Okay. All but right. higher up on that middle tier than you might think. Um, you surprised me, Mr. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's bottom tier for me. It's it's fun enough to watch, and it's 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 one to sort of point and laugh at. But as has been mentioned already, there are long, kind of drawn out bits that are kind of boring. And it's yeah, it just it. I think the sum of it. I think the parts are greater than the whole. Uh, in many ways, mm. um, except mm. for except for Stacy Sutton, Stacy Sutton. Uh, mm-hmm. Tanya Roberts, she's just a bit bland and boring, a bit Barbie doll like, and not particularly she's memorable. She's awful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to be that mean, but yeah, she's not good. It's oh no, it's I she's mean, dead. She the, won't hear your complaints. Yes, right. is she? <laughs> she was just awful. She died twice. Yeah, she did. She lived. What? She got. She got. Her death was reported, Natalie, um, before she died. Oh no! And then. Then she died, and then they reported it again. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, but she seemed very young. She seemed like she would have been quite young. Yeah, and not- she had some sort of brain hemorrhage or something, jog- yeah. jogging oh, or something. That's but she sad. Went, yeah, she was in she was in hospital um, and uh, basically on life support, I think, and she wasn't going to last much longer. But oh. um, well, obviously not by a day or two, I think it was, but. Um, but yes, obviously somebody somebody leaked to the press that she had passed, and it you know went everywhere before she had, and I think there was yeah quite a few people quite upset by that, understandably. Oh, of course, yeah, that is upsetting. Anyway, more and why I don't like her. Here's why she sucks. why she sucks. No, she, I mean, I look it. It wasn't. She definitely didn't. Uh, the, the the best sort of job, I, I guess, in my, in my opinion, of, of uh, you know, 
in in the in the scheme of uh, all bond bond um, women, but um, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't <laughs> be reasonably respectful around her passing. Um, but yeah, it's, she she's not my favorite bond woman, but I still think this is a great film. Uh, maybe a little less after Phil just destroyed it in terms of structure for me, but well, <laughs> so okay. Phil, this was firmly near the bottom of your tears, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I'd say has so. It cha- I, has it changed? None of you did a damn thing to change my mind. But <laughs> having said that, so w- uh, when this film is sort of in competition with my own existing opinion of it, 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 it rises and falls sometimes. Sometimes I'm more in the mood to check it out than others. But if, if I'm forced to look at it in terms of like a tier of the 25 films, I'm always just going to lean toward the, the, the weirder, earlier, more uh, films, the, 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 the more outlandish stuff for more... Uh, the weird kinkier stuff. This one's just sort of, it's gravitating toward it like a middle of the road American mm. action film. Uh, it's, it's not particularly demanding in any, in any sense of the word. It's, it's not exotic. It was on Roger. The two stunt doubles have seen. Hey, yeah. I mean, aside from Roger Moore's knees, it's not very, a very demanding uh, film. The, and, and it's, it's sort of uh, all the settings aside from that, you know, where that snow, snow, Russia, Russia, right? Um, sorry, Siberia. it's late over here. Yeah, Siberia, which was all studio shit anyway for Roger. Um, they didn't really go anywhere exciting. You know, it's it's sort of a travel log that your your family might take a vacation on. <laughs> Not particularly. It's, it's, uh, you know, like when you see those like fashion stores or jewelries, and on on the back of it, it's got like Milan, Paris, San Francisco. It's like yeah. You know, it's just ticking those more yeah. famous cities off the list, isn't it? Yep. Uh, which is, you know, not what I look for in a Bond film, traditionally. Mm. So, yeah. Against the other Bond films, still toward the bottom for me. No. So, if we haven't convinced you, you should still go see it in the UK cinemas oh, this week. go see it. Please go see it. In 4K, which means you wow. won't be able to not see the stunt doubles. Or um, the lines on Roger Moore's face. <laughs> The surprise on his face when he learns he's the bottom. <laughs> bottom. I'm, I'm the bottom. Well, I don't mind if I do. Well, I'm up for everything once. <laughs> bottom. I've just met him. <laughs> Sorry. He's hanging around here earlier. Uh, I hear Phil's placing me at the bottom. <laughs> If you're in the UK, go check it out. Just bathe in the 80s. And uh, as Phil mentioned, one of Barry's best scores in the series. And then make, make sure you watch the video clip with Simon Le Bon. Uh, looking cool. Running up and down the Eiffel Tower. That's right. <laughs> and for a change of pace next week, we'll see you for The Living Daylights. Catch you next week. Bye. <laughs>